A table of fables. From the constellations to the oceans, all the nations, all our notions, it makes a story, a million stories. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 13 of A Table of Fables. I am James Funny Hat, and today I am wearing a funny hat because the last several episodes I've been wearing hats that weren't funny. And this time I thought I should wear a hat that is funny because my grass hat was not funny and my flamingo hat was not really funny. So today I am wearing a hat that is funny and I'll show it to you. Look, <laughs> look at this. This is hilarious. Look at this guy. Oh, actually, uh, I guess you can't really see that because this is just audio only. That means you can only hear it. Uh, does it sound funny? I'll, hold, I'll be quiet so you can just hear the hat. It probably doesn't sound funny. Okay. Well, it is a very funny hat. Well, Today's episode is supported by Alex in Holland, Michigan. And Alex also has a question that she recorded. So you'll hear her voice a little bit later and I will answer her question. If you would like to support the show like Alex kindly did, you can find out how on my website, which is jamesfunnyhat.com. Before we get to Alex's question, we have a question from Aiden in Toronto. And his question goes like this. Hi, I liked the story about Anansi. Who would win in a battle, Anansi or Spider-Man? Well, Aiden, that is a really good question. A really good question. Let's see. Spider-Man is really strong. He's got spider powers. Plus, he can stick to walls, and he's got webs that he can spin, and he's got a spider sense, so he knows when some danger is happening behind him. So he is super, super powerful. But Aiden, Spider-Man would be no match 
for Anansi because Anansi is so tricky. If they had a battle, the battle would be over and Anansi would win before Spider-Man even knew it was a battle. He is that tricky. And plus, Anansi is real. I'm not sure if Spider-Man is real. I've never seen a real Spider-Man. So, thank you for the question, Aiden. Now, here's a question from Alex in Holland, Michigan. And James Funny Hat, I have two questions. Actually, not just one. And the first question is, why does it rain? And the second question is, why is there a sun? Well, Alex, thank you very, very much for your questions. Those are super questions, and it is great to hear your voice. And who better to answer such questions as those than a fabulist? That would be me. So let's start. So, let me see. Why is there rain? Hmm. Well, because there's rain, rain can distribute the water on the planet throughout the atmosphere and throughout the entire planet. So that means that water, with its life-giving properties, can contribute to there being a whole wide variety of increasingly complex biological forms throughout eons of time. So, let me think... I guess according to my calculations, that would mean that there's rain so that we've got something to do with our umbrellas. Okay, next question for the fabulist is, why is there a sun? Well, let's see. When you look out at the night sky, you can see that as far as your eye can gaze, there are stars and stars and stars. Well... The sun is a star that's the closest of all of those stars. And there are billions and trillions of those stars. Now, as far as we know, there is one of those stars, the sun, that has spinning around it a planet, that's Earth, the one we're on, that has just the right conditions for that planet being just close enough but not too far away to support organic life. What's organic life? Well, those are the things that are alive. The plants, trees, grass, bugs, cats, fish, people, all the animals. Those are the things that are alive. And if there wasn't anything alive, it would be kind of like the moon here. It would be kind of like a picture that you made of a park with no people and no animals. Did you ever make a picture like that? Well, one thing I do know is I love your question. And I don't know why there's a sun, but I love thinking about why there is a sun, because it makes me think bigger and bigger and bigger. So thank you, Alex, for asking that question. And don't stop asking those big questions like that, 
even if you don't have an answer, especially if you don't have an answer. Now soon, the story will begin. You'll hear a bell go ding. When you hear that bell, put your hands up in the air. When you can't hear it anymore, put your hands down and then the story will begin. So let's get ready by taking a deep breath. And then breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. Here comes the bell. There once was a king who loved more than anything food. But not just any kind of food. Special food. Fancy food. Gourmet food. The king's name was King Gaston. Every morning he would wake up and summon his servants, an army of a thousand chefs. Come hither, my servants, he would say. Bring your best chefery skills and let the feast begin. The day would begin with him with an assortment of pastries, such as croissants, muffins, pain chocolat, scones and danishes. But this was not breakfast. It was only the pre-breakfast snack. After that, there were more snacks of salads, biscuits, and various more pastries, but it was still not breakfast. It was only the amuse-bouche. When breakfast finally arrived, it would come served on a table that was as big as the entire floor of your house. It was so heavy, the table had to be pulled in by show horses. On that table was an array of food unlike anything you have ever seen. It was filled with porridges of various grains, different styles of eggs, poached eggs, scrambled eggs, eggs benedict. There were crepes, pancakes, waffles, with different kinds of creams and compotes. There were fruit salads, sauces, toasted breads, jams and jellies to go with them. King Gaston would happily eat all of the food on the entire table, enjoying every single morsel. After breakfast, there was a short break, and the king would do some royal work, perhaps sign some papers. And then he would be waiting for lunch. And as he was waiting, there would be a series of six or seven snacks served to him. When lunch finally arrived, it was served on a table as big as an entire back yard. It was so big and heavy it had to be pulled by a team of six oxen. And on that table was piled sandwiches, soups, pastas, cheese plates, cold salads, warm salads, condiments, all served on special fancy displays of dishes and silverware. King Gaston, of course, would eat the entire banquet of food all by himself and enjoy every 
morsel. After lunch, there were seven or eight more snacks, and at exactly four o'clock he would dismiss the thousand chefs that had been serving him all day, and there waiting would be the three thousand dinner chefs who had been working in the meanwhile all day preparing for dinner. The three thousand dinner chefs would come and present the menu to the king. When King Gaston approved, there would be a huge rumbling sound as a table the size of a soccer field pulled by a dozen elephants would roll into the royal courtyard. On that table was that day's royal supper. It was filled with roasted meats, grilled vegetables, rices, casseroles, salads, breads, side dishes, sauces, condiments, and desserts, all displayed in shining silver and gleaming white doilies. You probably have an image in your mind by now of King Gaston being a large and portly king. In fact, he was as thin and sprightly as a gymnast, probably because after every meal and snack, he would excitedly jump up and down, exclaiming, that was so good, that was so good, and what's next, what's next, what's next? He seemed to burn up so much energy by doing this that he didn't accumulate any extra weight. He wasn't happy, though, not as happy as he wanted to be, and he would, in fact, wake up at three in the morning every night and think to himself that something was missing but he didn't know what it was. One day, though, he woke up and he knew. I have enjoyed many foods, but do not have a favorite food. I must have a favorite food, he said to himself. So the next day he issued a proclamation that if any chef could produce a food that was so fancy, so delectable, delightful, and delicious that it would stand out from all the others and become King Gaston's favorite, that chef would be rewarded with their own weight in gold. All the chefs from the palace and the kingdom and the kingdoms beyond that came to try their luck to make King Gaston's favorite food. The first chef was Chef Cronoyer. Chef Cronoyer stood before King Gaston with a tray covered in a silver dome and said, Your Majesty, I have prepared a dish that will surely become your favorite. It is poached venison kebab, marinated in fiddlehead kimchi on wild rice pilaf with a delicate drizzle of cherry blossom and balsam wood pâté. Enjoy, your majesty. Chef Conoyer watched as King Gaston took a bite and then jumped up and down, shouting, It's so good! It's so good! It's so good! It's so good! Chef Conoyer thought, I'm going to win! I'm going to win the gold! But then King Gaston said, But it's not my favorite. 
The next chef was Chef Bonhomme de Rampalde. Chef Bonhomme de Rampalde stood before King Gaston with a plate covered with a silver dome and said, Your Majesty, I have a food so delicious, it will surely become your favorite. He opened the dome and said, This, Your Majesty, is chow-grilled salmon on a bed of Nepalese garlic basmati and sweet and sour lingonberry compote. Enjoy! King Gaston took a bite and immediately started jumping up and down. It's so good! It's so good! It's so good! Chef Bonhomme de Repalde thought to himself, I'm going to win! I'm going to win! But then King Gaston said, But it's not my favorite. Up next was the famous Chef Grand Bonbon. Chef Grand Bonbon stood before the king and said, Your Majesty, I have made you a dish that will be your favorite. It is called Malagasy Mouton Quiche with hand-harvested pine nut beetroot drizzle. King Gaston took a bite and jumped up and down and said, It's so good! It's so good! It's so good! Chef Grand Bonbon thought to himself, I'm going to win. I'm going to win the gold. But then King Gaston said, But it's not my favorite. One after another, the chefs would come, and always it was the same. King Gaston would excitedly jump up and down and say how good the food was and then say that it was not his favorite. And King Gaston thought to himself, maybe I'll never have a favorite food. When there appeared in the court a mysterious stranger. The mysterious stranger was wearing a large purple coat and she was riding on a unicorn. And she stood before King Gaston and said, Your Majesty, I have prepared for you the most delicious food you have ever tasted. King Gaston said, Very well then, stranger, show it to me. But the stranger gave King Gaston a mysterious look and said, this food is so special that you can only enjoy it in the place where it is prepared, so it will be perfectly fresh. King Gaston had by this time tried so many different foods that he was prepared to travel. He asked the stranger if it was far. The stranger looked at him mysteriously and said, Your Majesty, it is not far. Come journey with me and discover your favorite food. And so King Gaston ordered his chefs to prepare a snack for the road. And he got on his horse and followed the mysterious stranger who rode on her unicorn. And they set off into the distance. After the first half an hour, King Gaston became very hungry and ate the entire snack his chef had prepared for him. And now it was just King Gaston and the mysterious stranger riding and riding 
They rode up down the path. They rode through the mountains. Now King Gaston had never been more than an hour without eating before in his entire life. And now they had been riding for two hours and he was starting to get very hungry and he said, Stranger, are we there? The stranger looked at him mysteriously and said, We're getting closer. They rode further. Now they had been gone four hours and the king was getting very hungry. Are we there yet? He asked. Again, the stranger made a mysterious look and she said, we're getting closer, your majesty. They rode further, six hours, eight hours. It started to get dark. The king had never been so hungry. His stomach was starting to make sounds it had never made before. He said, are we almost there, stranger? The stranger said, we're getting closer, but we must camp here for the night. They set up tents and slept, and all night King Gaston dreamed of food. He had never been so hungry before. They woke up the next morning and began the journey for another hour and another hour. Now everywhere he looked, he was seeing food. Everything reminded him of food. Rocks on the ground looked like crackers. Trees beside the road looked like broccoli. The clouds looked like cream. He was so hungry. Are we there yet, stranger? We're getting closer, said the stranger, as she looked at him mysteriously once again. After another eight hours of riding, they finally got to the little cabin in the mountains where the stranger lived. We have arrived. Come sit down and enjoy the best food you have ever tasted. The king sat down in a simple wooden chair and waited as the stranger prepared the food. King Gaston listened as the sound of chopping and the pouring of liquids into glasses could be heard. He waited, and a few minutes later, the stranger came with a plate, with a simple cover over it, and said, Your Majesty, this will be the most delicious food you have ever had. She took the cover off, and underneath the cover was a piece of bread with butter and a glass of water. King Gaston took a sip of the clear water and drank it thirstily and he started to immediately jump up and down and say, this is so delicious. He took a bite of the bread and butter, and it savored and melted in his mouth and said, this is the most delicious thing I have ever, ever tasted. Stranger, I will give you the weight of two of you in gold and your unicorn. What do you call this? Your Majesty, said the stranger. This food that I have given you is a very simple food that all the poorest in your kingdom eat. It is called bread and butter in a simple glass of water. And now, Your Majesty, you have not only found your favorite food, but you have learned that the food that you enjoy the most 
is the food that you eat when you are truly hungry. We've reached the end of the story, and we've reached the end of this episode of A Table of Fables. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Alex in Michigan for supporting this show, and thank you so much for your question and for recording the question and sending it in. It was great to hear your voice. If you would like to send in a question, please do. You can send in a recording, or you can write it down. If you'd like to support the show, that would be very much appreciated. You can find out how on my website, and you can also pass along a link to the show to your friends, to your neighbors, to your classmates, to your family, to anyone you know who think might like the show. So I am James Funnyhat. Thank you so much. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week on A Table of Fades.